Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. It's time for Lombardi Memories. So to take you back in time, it is January or February, to grace one day spectacle in all of sports. This is the podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50 plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive by drive, play by play, through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and you can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. Today we have Super Bowl 49, held on February 1st, 2015, between the three-time NFC champion Seattle Seahawks and the eight-time AFC champion New England Patriots. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, on how many of his 24 runs in this game did Marson Lynch not pick up at least one yard? The answer will come near the end of the podcast. The defending champion, Super Bowl champion, Seattle Seahawks looked to repeat, but it wasn't an easy start in 2014. They began this season 3-3, three and three, but after that they went 9-1 and one the rest of the way, including a six-game winning streak to end the regular season to finish first in the NFC West at 12-4. After beating Carolina in the divisional round 31-17, they won a bizarre NFC Championship game over Green Bay in which they trailed 16-0 before scoring a touchdown on a fake punt and recovering an onside kick. They won 28-22 in overtime and advanced to their second straight Super Bowl. Seattle was led by quarterback Russell Wilson, who threw for 3,475 yards and 20 touchdowns with just seven interceptions. The hard-to-figure-out Marson Lynch rushed for 1,300 yards and 13 touchdowns and famously refused to answer any questions at Super Bowl Media Day. Wilson ran for 849 yards and six touchdowns to rank second on the team. His main receiver was Doug Baldwin, who caught 66 balls for 825 yards and three touchdowns. Seattle also had Jermaine Curse, who went for 537 yards on 38 grabs. But the strength of Seattle's team was their defense, the Legion of Boom. The Seahawks had defensive back Richard Sherman, who had four interceptions and constantly locked down opposing receivers. They had defensive backs Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill, 
along with linebacker Bruce Irvin and defensive tackle Jordan Hill. All, all four of those had at least five sacks. Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor added to the power of the defensive backfield. The Seahawks' defense may have been the best in the league. As for New England, they started out the season 2-2, two and two, and many media vultures questioned quarterback Tom Brady. Bill Belichick deflected questions, and then the team went on a seven-game winning streak. They coasted to a 12-4 record and the AFC title. In the divisional round against Baltimore, the Patriots trailed by 14 points to the Ravens before coming back to win 35-31. They then crushed Indianapolis 45-7 in the infamous Deflategate game. For the record, I think the, I personally think this, this whole, uh, Deflategate thing was more of a witch hunt than anything. Even the footballs, even if they weren't at the proper PSI, well, both teams play the same ball, right? If it's easier to catch, then it's also easier to intercept. It was much to do about nothing, but since it involved the Patriots, the media vultures started circling the team again. Brady threw for over 4,100 yards and 33 touchdowns with just nine interceptions. The media wrote him off after his fourth game of the season, but it made no sense. He was just as good as he ever was. He didn't even have a running back with more than 415 yards. The Patriots were running back by committee with three players between 280 and 415 yards. Receiving, though, the Patriots lit it up. Receiver Julian Edelman caught a team-high 92 passes and went for 972 yards and four touchdowns. Tight end Rob Gronkowski led the team with 1,124 yards on 82 catches and he scored 12 times. Receiver Brandon LaFell caught 74 passes for 953 yards, 7 scores. Basically, all that is to tell you that the Patriots were a passing juggernaut. On defense, the Patriots had defensive back Darrell Revis, about as much of a lockdown corner as you could have in the NFL. Defensive end Rob Ninkovitz led the team with eight sacks. Linebackers Dante Hightower and Chandler Jones each had six. So the Patriots' defense was good enough to complement the strong offense. On paper, this Super Bowl was a toss-up, a practical pick em in the betting sense. It, it could easily go either way. In the end, just one yard separated the two teams from each other. On the first third down of the game, Brady threw for a first down the running back, Sane Vereen, but that's all the Patriots could get on their first drive. They punted, and since Ryan Allen got away such a good kick to the 15, they declined a running into the kicker penalty, which should have been roughing the kicker because... Allen's plant leg got hit. Seattle took the ball back, and they ran Lynch three times, didn't get a first down, and punted it back. Brady threw to Edelman to get a first down on the left sideline. Then running back LeGarrette Blunt 
ran the ball beyond midfield, and that was followed by Brady hitting Gronk for a first down at the 44. Blunt ran outside for another first down at the 26, and then Brady refreshed the down count with a pass to receiver Danny Amendola. Facing third down, though, Brady threw an ill-advised pass, which was intercepted by defensive back Jeremy Lane. The bad news for Seattle, Lane injured his arm and tore his ACL on the return of what was his first career interception. He would not be back for the remainder of the contest. The Seahawks continued to struggle on offense, and the Patriots got the ball back at 35. Brady threw to Amendola for a first down just beyond midfield. He then hit LaFell for eight yards before going on to pass to Vereen for another first down. Max Edelman caught a pass on the run, got a first down to 10. Two plays later, Brady hit LaFell for an 11-yard touchdown pass. New England led the game 7-0. Teams traded punts, and Seattle got the ball back at their own 30. Now the Seahawks offense got going, starting with a 5-yard run by Lynch, and then Wilson throwing the curse for a first down at the 40. Lynch ran for 5 more yards. And then the unexpected hero for Seattle in this game was a receiver by the name of Chris Matthews. He did not catch a pass in the regular season, but he sewed up big time in the playoffs, recovering the onside kick in the NFC Championship game and now having a big game in the Super Bowl. He caught a long pass all the way down to the 11 for the first down. Lynch ran it three times from there, scoring from three yards out on the third run, and the Seahawks tied the game at seven. New England then zoomed down the field. Brady threw to Amendola at, for a first down at the 31 as the two-minute warning sounded. Out of the timeout, Blunt ran for it nine yards, then Brady threw to Vereen for a first down. Seahawks gave up another first down because they jumped offside, and then Brady got a low pass to Vereen, which he caught for a first down at the 26. Two plays later, Brady fired down the right sideline for Gronk, who hauled it in and spiked the football after a 22-yard touchdown. Patriots led 14-7 with just about half a minute left in the first half. The Seahawks went even faster than the Patriots did down the field. Running back Robert Turbin broke off a 19-yard run, and Seattle called timeout with 24 seconds left. Wilson then scrambled for a first down out of bounds at the New England 45 with 17 seconds left. Actually, that, that might not have been a first down. But he did get a first down on the next play on a pass to Ricardo Lockett. And New England got called for a face mask on that play. So now Seattle had the ball at the New England 11 with 6 seconds to play. Kick a field goal? Nope. Instead, they kept the offense out there. Wilson threw a quick pass to the left side of the end zone, and Matthews hold it in for a touchdown. So instead of pulling within four, Seattle tied the game at 14 at the half. 
Now in the second half, Seattle continued its positive momentum with Lynch running for 15 yards and then Matthews making another big play. He, he caught a play-action pass all the way down to the New England 17-yard line. Lynch plowed ahead for seven yards, but the Seahawks were stopped side the first down. So kicker Stephen Hoska came on and kicked a 27-yard field goal and gave Seattle its first lead of the game, 17-14. Brady was intercepted on the next drive by linebacker Bobby Wagner. That set up Seattle with great field position. Wilson threw another pass to Matthews, this one for only 9 yards though, and that was his last catch of the game. Lynch picked up the first down from there though, and Wilson scrambled for another first down to the 23. Lynch powered his way down to the 4, and two plays later, Wilson lobbed one up for Baldwin. Doug Baldwin got a 3-yard touchdown on the play and a 10-point lead after three quarters of play, although on that touchdown, the only reason why Baldwin was so wide open was because the umpire threw a pick <laughs> and blocked Darrell Revis from covering him. So that was Baldwin's only catch of the game, and it came because of a bizarre pick in the end zone. The game went into somewhat of a lull then on the next four possessions, which were all punts. New England couldn't pick up a first down on two drives. Wilson completed one 25-yard pass to Lockett, but nothing else on the other two drives, or those two drives. He ended up being sacked by Ninkovich on third down, and the Patriots got the ball back at their own 33. Brady was sacked by Irvin, and it looked like another punt was coming as the Patriots faced 3rd and 14. But Brady stepped up and fired to Edelman for a gain of 21 to pick up that first down. Next, Vereen caught a pass for about 9 yards, and then he got a late hit penalty added on. Brady converted on another third down, hitting Edelman for a first down of the three, and then two plays later he found Amendola in the back of the end zone for a touchdown, and kicker Steven Guskowski's extra point made it 24-21. The Seahawks then went three and out, but they shouldn't have, because Patriots defensive back Malcolm Butler trip Lockett on the first down play. That should have been either pass interference or tripping, but they didn't call it. So Seattle ended up punting. New England got the ball back at their own 36. Brady then threw a dump-off pass to start off the next drive, got it to Vereen for 8 yards, and then he went back to Vereen. He caught, Vereen caught another one for first down. So Edelman caught a pass, but then Vereen, he had yet another catch wiped off the board, though, this time because of offensive pass interference. But Brady got that all back on a pass to Gronk for a first down at the Seattle 32. Gronk caught another one, got a new set of downs at the 20, and then Vereen took a rare run for the Patriots for eight yards. Something I noticed in this game is that Patriots were passing non-stop, and Seattle was running non-stop 
up to this point. Brady then set up a first and goal with a pass to LaFell, and Blunt pounded it down to the three. Brady then hit Edelman on the left side of the end zone for a three-yard touchdown. New England took a 28-24 lead with 2-2 left on the clock. Now, the Seahawks have been running a bunch, but now they had to throw it. I mean, it wasn't like they hadn't thrown the ball at all, but they were running a lot. But now they had the throw, so it was time for Wilson to work some magic. He went down the sideline to Lynch for a first down inside New England territory at the 49 as the two-minute warning went off. Two plays later, the play clock almost ran out in Seattle, and they had to take their first time out. Keep that one in mind. Wilson completed a third down to Lockett for a new set of downs at the 38. And then on the next play, Wilson threw the curse, and the ball bounced off him while he was on the ground, and then it somehow bounced into his hands for an extremely unlikely 33-yard gain. It was a crazy, lucky play, like Antonio Freeman's he-did-what catch back for the Packers in 2000. Gave Seattle a first down at the five-yard line, but again, the play clock almost ran out, so Seattle had to take their second time out of the game. Now Lynch got the ball on the next play out of the timeout, ran it down to the one-yard line, punishing New England defenders as he went. So now it's second and goal from the one, and the Seahawks let down the clock all the way within 30 seconds figuring they'd leave no time for Brady. If they had at least two timeouts, this would have been ideal. That way they could run the ball three straight times if they wanted to. But instead, they had only one timeout. Even with one timeout, though, they could still run the ball on second and goal. But for whatever reason, we'll never know why, Pete Carroll called for a pass play. Malcolm Butler stepped in front of it, intercepted it, and the future of the NFL changed forever. Seriously. Because the Seahawks would have been a dynasty had they just handed off the Lynch for a one-yard touchdown run, which would have won at 31-28. They'd be back-to-back Super Bowl champions. Everyone would be talking dynasty. Maybe there would already be a dynasty. But instead, and they would have been the team of decade, too, because they would have had multiple Super Bowls in the 2010s. Instead, the Patriots ended up the team of the 2010s because they won two of the next four Super Bowls after this one. Now, do they win those Super Bowls if they don't win this one? Who knows? So this was perhaps the most important play in NFL history in the 21st century. It's hard to think of another play that's ever been so important. I mean, I can think of some in the 20th century, but can't think of many more in the 21st century. It, but it all happened because Carroll didn't see fit to hand it off to a running back who had gained at least one yard on all but two of his carries. That's the answer to today's pop quiz question. On only two of Lynch's 24 carries did he not gain at least one yard. Now, Seattle shouldn't have wasted those timeouts because they had those timeouts, then maybe none of this happens. But even so, they still have one in their pocket for a running play. 
I'm sure Carol still has nightmares over this play, as is probably every member of the Seahawks. Now, there are conspiracy theories as to why the Seahawks called a pass. I think the reason was just sheer stupidity. Now, Brady got named MVP of the game because he threw four touchdown passes and he led the team back from down 10 points in the fourth quarter, the first team to ever come back from down 10 in a fourth quarter in a Super Bowl. But Malcolm Butler deserved the MVP. He caught the winning interception and he stepped up and made that play. If he doesn't make it, then the Seahawks win. But of course, the Raiders had to give it to Brady. And this phenomenon would arise two Super Bowls later where Brady got an MVP that he didn't deserve. The MVP of the losing team, well, that, that's a tough call, but I got to give it to Marshawn Lynch. He rushed for 102 yards on 24 carries. And had he rushed for 103 yards on 25 carries, NFL history would be radically different. If he runs it in, he probably gets Super Bowl MVP. Is that the reason why Carroll didn't want him to run it? Because he was sort of unlikable to the media? Who knows? What matters is that Lynch never got that shot to win the Super Bowl, and the Seahawks have not been back to the Super Bowl since. The least valuable player was Doug Baldwin. Yeah, he had a touchdown catch. But it was his only catch of the game for only three yards. Now, Seattle got almost nothing out of them. But meanwhile, they got 109 yards on four catches out of the best player you don't remember from this game, Chris Matthews. No one knew who he was. No one still knows who he was. He just came out of nowhere and lit up the Super Bowl and nearly won it. He could have been Super Bowl MVP after catching zero passes in the regular season. But Doug Baldwin, an established receiver, was shut down, only caught one pass, as he was locked down by Revis. And now, it was for a touchdown, but keep in mind, the only reason he got it was because the umpire, who was back there in those days, he blocked Darrell Revis on the play. So without referee interference, that play isn't complete, and Seattle might not score a touchdown there. Now, the biggest play of the game requires no introduction. You know what it is. But what's the biggest play you don't remember? Now, that would be the Seahawks letting the play clock almost run out on that final drive as they were hovering around midfield. So they called timeout to prevent a delayed game. But let's say they just got that play in and don't use a timeout. Then at the goal line, they'd have two timeouts to burn. Enough time for Lynch to pound the ball away three straight times. If they threw it there anyway, so be it. But having that extra time out would have afforded Carroll no excuse. Now, this week's homework is the one I've got to get to myself. It's called Patriot Rain. Bill Belichick, the coaches, and the players who built a champion by Michael Hawley. In fact, I'm putting it in my Amazon wish list right now. This one has gotten great reviews and is very popular. You can find it quite cheap on Amazon. I'm going to have to get a hold of this one soon. There's occasional times where 
I need to get a book and I don't have it. Even with my big collection, yeah, there's a bunch of these books I don't have, but I can read the reviews and I can tell that they're good books. And that's why I recommend them. But, you know, maybe they aren't. So <laughs> it's up to you to find that out. But this one is very popular, has a lot of great reviews. So I trust that you'll like it if you, if you are fair to the Patriots, that is, because the Patriots have a bad reputation. Not many people like them. I tend to respect them, and I feel like they've gotten a lot of blame just because they win all the time. And, well, they don't win much more now that Tom Brady's gone. But next time we'll get a short break from the Patriots. They're going to be around a long, long time on this podcast, so don't get too comfortable with the Patriots going away. But for now, we'll have the 50th Super Bowl between Peyton Manning's Denver Broncos and Cam Newton's Carolina Panthers. Why they didn't name it Super Bowl L is beyond me. I hate the fact that they went away from Roman numerals here. Hopefully they keep Roman numerals for the next 40-some years until Super Bowl 100. Anyway, Super Bowl 50 is next time. But until then, you can find all my books at TommyAPhillips.com. This is Tommy A. Phillips signing off. So long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.